0: Is this for Credits? The NZATE Podcast. We're already up to episode 5, Philly, and this week it's Starling Magazine and Louise Wallace is a poet. I, it was a couple of weeks ago that we had this conversation and it went on into the late night. It was just such an interesting one. But that presented me with quite an interesting challenge because we're trying to keep this podcast reasonably snappy. So Louise will be probably quite shocked with how short the interview turned out to be after how long the conversation was.
1: Yes, well, I imagine if there's there's any kind of podcast that's going to end up being verbose, it's going to be an English teaching podcast. I'm currently writing my board report and um, I have been rolled the last couple of weeks for the verbosity of of my previous board report, one that I said I made no apology for. And then as soon as I said that, one of the deputy principals said, I wish he had made an apology for it. That took me ages to read through that. Verbosity, it's it's uh, it's part of our, the fabric of being as an English teacher to a point, isn't it?
0: Oh, it totally is. There's never an opportunity where another word might not hurt. And also, (laughs) actually, on the subject of board reports, I've got a great story on that. A previous HOD of mine was querying whether the board actually read her report so she inserted into the middle of it an autopsy report for a deer because her her husband is a a a hunter and a vet and they didn't notice
1: (laughs) my god that is so good though fantastic I think I included a few little a few little digs and like ingest at at my principal claire amos who's um, who's a friend of mine as well so but i think i wasn't brave enough to leave them in there i think i took them out right at the last minute but i just thought you know if i'm if i'm going to be writing this thing i want to i want to enjoy the process of putting something together so that's where i guess most hods are probably at at this point of the year, is thinking about what we're putting into this report to a bunch of people who aren't going to read it, it would seem.
0: It would be quite fun to satirise one, wouldn't it? To write a satirical report. We should try that sometime. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I'm thinking of just handing in, like, one sentence, you know, like, all in all... It was hard, but we did pretty good. Yeah,
0: all is well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but we came out all right.
0: So this Louise Wallace interview of ours is great and really important for English teachers because if she's one of the editors of Starling Mag, and that's become such an institution in New Zealand. It's a venue for young writers. Anyone can submit, and it publishes every half year, and it provides us as teachers with a really great contemporary material. We talk about the editing process, and we talk about the difference between being a poet being a teacher and the kind of dilemmas that we face in that nexus and I've found the whole thing really quite illuminating it feels like you and I Philly are on this journey into almost the assassination the death of the author if that makes sense and these these poets are actually helping us
1: well I'm feeling more confident about bringing more contemporary poetry into my practice if I'm honest Bringing poetry into my practice is probably not a strength of mine anyway, but I'm feeling so much braver about what's good to bring into class and talking to people has made it so much more exciting.
0: I'm thinking about these podcasts as a kind of a catalogue of really useful material. Yeah, I'm the same as you. It's encouraging to talk to people authors about their work, but also there seems to be so much license offered by them to do what we will with their work, and I do appreciate that.
1: It's a real high-trust model, um, but and how refreshing it is to talk to people who are so excited about poetry, have knowledge of the canon, uh, brave in moving beyond that, and supporting the development of our practice, you know, through conversation as well. It's just such a friendly, unintimidating forum to be talking about how we might do things differently in our own classroom mm.
0: do you like the echo i feel like i'm in a cathedral uh, the only the only room i could find in the school to have this conversation was the hall so here i am
1: it's very grand and you've got halogen lights which is pretty flash i'm actually going to have, you to have another meeting now
0: all right you go to your meeting and everyone else enjoy the podcast we'll see you in a couple of weeks Matiwa Just before we go on to the interview with Louise Wallace, we've got an update from NZATE Towers, Caitlin.
2: Kia ora koutou katoa, ko Caitlin Funk, toku ingoa. I am reaching you in your homes, in your headphones from uh, the NZATE head office and I'm very excited to share with you what we are up to right now. We are revisiting our 2021 program design workshops. Uh, We're holding a one session only in three different cities around the country, Auckland, Wellington and Christchurch. Wellington's already full. Well done, those of you who signed up quickly. Uh, But we still do have a few spots available in Auckland, which is being held on March 16th and in Christchurch, which is being held on March 14th. Go to our website to learn more about it and to sign up. We're also asking for resources from our colleagues to support with the Omnicrom outbreak. So what we're asking for is for you to send in your best one, two, or three lesson tasks, something that's suitable for relief lessons. So that way, the teachers and heads of department around the country who might be finding themselves needing to cover some of the colleagues on short notice or for longer periods of time, have some support with this. We're noticing that this is happening all over the country. And so within Zate, we're trying to see what we can do to help. And we, we hope this will help. We'll be creating a drive folder that teachers can access And what we're going to do is for each piece that you send in that we select to include in that drive folder, you will be given a $20 book voucher. So make sure you send any resources that you'd like to include uh, in this resource for the teachers around the Motu. Um, Send them in via email to resources at nzate.org.nz. So resources at nzate.org.nz. We are really excited for our workshops in 2022. These are going to be around language. What we'll be doing is supporting teachers to understand how to unpack and teach language well in the junior school, so that way by the time students reach the senior school, they're feeling confident and that they can succeed. So keep an eye out on your emails and on our social media to know when the dates for those will be in your area. Thanks for tuning in. Ka
0: Excitingly, we've got a chance this evening to talk to Louise Wallace, who's one of the co-editors of Starling Mag and a poet in her own right. So welcome along, Louise. Thank you. It's really good to have you here. We've got so much that we can talk to you about. We thought we might start with Starling, which is in its 12th edition. It's an online magazine of poets and prose writers up to the age of 25 from New Zealand. Is that correct?
3: Yes, that's right. Uh, we're just about to release our 13th issue in late February. When did you start? I was living in Nelson, I remember that, and I, I started thinking of this idea that I think that would be a really great opportunity. Once you get set up and along the way, you can get uh, financial support to help your endeavours, which
1: has been awesome from Creative New Zealand. How many years did that take you until it became a job? I think we put out four issues before
3: we could actually apply for funding. But we've just been able to continue to grow it from there. So we've recently set up um, an editorial committee, which is made up of three young writers who have previously been published in Starling. And so that's kind of like an internship program. And we're able to pay those Uh, writers again thanks to Creative New Zealand funding.
0: Can we talk a little bit about editorial process like how how do you go about or how have you instructed your new editorial panel to go about making their choices?
3: Uh, So it's really nice it's a really collaborative process Um, so we split off the reading and we have two pairs of eyes on every submission and we keep track of our own notes and give things kind of a, a rough rating as to where we place them. Um, Do you have a we... matrix
1: for that or is that <laughs> it's quite,
3: It's quite an embarrassing matrix that we only realized how embarrassing it was when we had to explain it to someone else. We have basically a, a no, a low maybe, maybe, high maybe, yes uh, <laughs> yeah. system. Yeah. <laughs> so it's very technical and precise.
0: Sounds like NCEA, doesn't
3: it? <laughs> <laughs> we have tried to make use of that rough shape with the editorial committee. But when we all come together, um, we have a couple of like quite intense two-hour or one-hour Zoom sessions. Uh, and we compile our rankings and end up mm-hmm. with a list to consider. And we really go through and hash it out and... There will generally be like quite a good consensus for, say, the first half of the writers that will go into the issue.
0: It's interesting because, of course, what you're talking about crosses over with what we do. We're assessing mm. writing all the time. Right. We're, using, yeah. we're using a set of external criteria for our formal assessments, but it's a, it's a pretty challenging process to be consistent with that, isn't it?
1: What do you think makes a really powerful text? Like What are the things that stand out and sing and make you think, this is something that needs to be in this publication.
3: That's really interesting to me because I think about Starling from the writing side, uh, but I am really I really hope that it is a valuable resource for teachers as well. I thought about this a bit today because I remember learning poetry in high school. I could not connect to it at all. I hated mm. poetry yeah. and school before I got to university um yeah. because I, I remember distinctly there was an exam we did for fifth for form and there was a poem in the exam and it was I, I feel like it might have been by Dennis Lover, but it was something about it was very masculine middle-aged masculine and it was about it was about tractors or some kind of agriculture And we had to, you know, go through and tick those boxes. Oh, he's mentioned red, that equates to love. I just could not connect to, obviously, because those, as a 15-year-old girl, those were just not my interests. So I guess that's what I hope Starling can help teachers with. Twice a year, there's a group of work that comes out that we, as writers, have said, this is good work. And it's by people, some people who are high school students themselves, and it's about the things they care about. And Mm. I'm like, I hope that is valuable. And one of the things I looked at today that for me is an example of something I look for that I think as a young writer is hard to know how to achieve is we talk about specific detail and specific descriptions all the time because a lot of the – similes and metaphors that students will use are vague or really general and lofty and hard to um, get grounded to so this is a poem by Amelia Kirkness that was in our 12th issue and she is a Christchurch high school student so it's called how did the sky look and it starts funny how the thing I remember the most was the light the growing lack of the colors across the clouds Shadows carving friends' faces into statues of gods and future memories, sun slipping down like a brass strap. And I was like, like a brass strap is what I'm talking about when it's that specific description. But when I see a submission that is doing things like that, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm after.
0: To some extent, that's also your taste, isn't it? I mean, your poetry does that. It has that moment of unexpectedness.
3: That's true. And that's another reason why I didn't, I never wanted to be a solo editor on this project. Bringing in this editorial committee has been awesome because these are people now much younger than we are, and they have their own viewpoints. And I really feel in the last couple of issues, there's been a couple of pieces that I don't think Francis and I would have selected, but I'm really glad that they're there.
0: I really like the image that sits behind the name, Starling, and I read the description on the website. I was wondering if you would mind explaining it to us.
3: Sure. I mean, that was the the co co-papa that we started with. I guess a lot of the reasons for why I wanted to start this, I think for young writers, it can feel like it's kind of a, an established person's game. And so the idea was that we would publish this community of young writers, but we would uh, fold in established writers and we have a guest writer spot that opens each issue uh, and an interview as well with often someone established. And so the idea was that we would fold these voices together and and it would be the supportive community. And I genuinely feel that the community building aspect has exceeded my expectations, our expectations, but they have really formed friendships and community uh, within themselves and just support each other so much
0: so from a content point of view it's absolutely going strong and anyone can see that by accessing it online and reading the work that you're publishing but it seems to me like your spirit is strong with it as well
3: I so believe in the space that has been created and
1: yeah and in the work we're publishing and some awesome names that have come through as well like I imagine you've been uh, played a significant role in the emerging careers of of some of these writers
3: well it's de- I mean it's definitely really humbling to see uh, how far they go and mm. be able to watch that journey from the start but I mean I always feel a bit sad and guilty that we can't publish more because and I think about that in terms of high school writers who are really pouring their hearts into these submissions and are to be quite honest most likely to be rejected because we receive around or more than 200 submissions for each issue and we can take about 20 that hurts for for us and for those people receiving
0: hurts but also increases the value of the experience
3: that's right yeah if you do make it in it's a real achievement and we have had people who have submitted i mean maybe five times and then finally get in and i think gosh how amazing that must feel and yes yes you're right that is a that is a plus of
0: that. And I have to say again, just affirming the choices you're making, but each edition is small enough to feel like it's manageable. You know how you can be overwhelmed? I really like the size of the Starling magazines. I feel like I can approach each one mm. and not be overwhelmed and I, I can return to them and each one starts to take an identity of its own. And some of that has to do with the fact that it's not It's not overwhelming.
3: Because we are online, technically, you can publish as much as you
1: want. You don't put any of your own work in there. I am not under the age limit. (laughs) Ah, right. Yes, of course.
0: I thought I could use as a segue into a, a chat about your own writing. Actually, your experience of accessing poetry in school was not wonderful but now you're a poet. Maybe school performed its role all the same.
3: That's true. I was thinking about my school experience today and I loved English. I absolutely loved it. And I mean, I just didn't know that I wanted to be a poet then, but I knew I loved English and I went to university to study English. So it definitely succeeded. I do remember one thing that was really cool about English. And I was thinking today, why couldn't, poetry have been that cool uh was we used to watch really cool films for english so we watched
1: wheel
0: them in on the well trolley. we wheeled them on
3: the trolley but we actually went <laughs> as the class to see romeo and juliet oh, awesome. at the movies and i remember the audible gasp from a whole cinema of 15 year old girls as leo walked onto the screen and we all went oh and, yeah so we watched yeah. very and we watched Clueless we studied Clueless which at the time was very Amazing. cool that's so cool. so I think contemporary poetry in New Zealand has become a lot more uh present and accessible mm. but I mean I I get it from the teacher's side as well like from the teachers I've spoken to in terms of working with styling I have some sense of how extremely time poor you all are probably just like writers like me as well Um, and so I mean if you are a little bit unsure of poetry and I mean we get that we hear that a lot right of poetry that it's intimidating we don't understand what it means um that it could be hard to think oh well I'm going to get some cool contemporary poems and teach them in my class I imagine that is pretty intimidating isn't it
1: yeah it's quite interesting there's um a Facebook page which is the New Zealand English teachers Facebook page and it's not associated with the subject association but um there's heaps of chat on there and there's often a large number of teachers looking for resources about a particular text, and that's really interesting to me. Um, and I, I, I feel like a, a lot of us, a lot of a lot of us, are nervous to teach something new without first having designed the learning around it, as opposed to trusting in the standards and trusting in our knowledge and expertise, and trusting in the poem, trusting in the text, and your. Connection to it, you know that that if we muddle through it with our class we 're going to be able to find some language to articulate how what our relationship looks like with this text and we 've got to be able to put into language what this is doing to us if we just trust ourselves professionally and as readers and have enough of that you know professional knowledge to support us navigating it i don 't know if we need. As many resources and activities and lesson plans as we think we do.
0: And I think if Philly and I are going to communicate a message, then the message is going to be more about trust yourself improvise more experiment yeah. be inspired mm. by the literature or the students and find out what you discover rather than to lock it all down to risk sort of a, an yeah. authorized approach that everyone's agreed to and that the authors agreed to and that we've all mm. said is the right way to study the text
3: well yeah i mean that's i think that's i've had really good results in workshops uh when i just kind of leave it to the students present one of the poems from starling and a great question that I often use and I mean it is kind of looking at encouraging the students to look at the editing process is why do you think the editors chose this poem and they come up with some amazing answers and I mean I guess like what you're saying Chris is that's the whole thing with poetry and why and why it is so difficult uh, to assess is that the poet writes a poem and then they let go of the poem and there's no guarantee that the reader is going to get their particular intended meaning, and that's part of it, and that's fine, and and you will get a, a variety of interpretations.
1: One of the standards that we have at uh, sixth form and seventh form and level two, level three, is um, writing portfolio, and in that portfolio, students are able to write like several poems as as one text, and. Whilst you can certainly make some suggestions and there may be some things with technical accuracy and um, intentional inaccuracy, it's, sometimes it can be quite challenging to look at a piece of poetry and say, well, how do I give feedback and judge this when there is so much nuance and it is it is in, intentionally so muddy? I feel like when, when the text starts to get really, really good, that's where it becomes a little bit trickier about where that text might sit in terms of grade boundaries and what those what that feedback might be no. from you as a teacher. Do you find the same thing Chris?
0: I think one of the things that I that allows me to climb out of that is I just start to focus on determining through what is on the page whether I can detect that kind of intelligent that sits behind it. I'm satisfied if I see something that I think this has to be the result of intentional decision making. Mm then it gets credit and I don't necessarily judge it so I'm seeing okay the choice of word or the uh, alignment of, mm. of ideas or the structure or the yeah. repetition or the sound it's that process I kind of right catalog those things as I go and if I if I see enough of that and I can detect some coherence between those things or dissonance if that's what the intention appears to be then I kind of stop there there's also a territory that is quite hallowed that we must stay away from which is that students own, experience of the world. Like I'm not there to judge that. I'm privileged to access it through their writing sometimes, but it's not my place to say whether it's a good way to see things.
3: Something that we talked about with teachers actually from the first issue, it's a poem by Sharon Lamb that's called My Neck While Serving Customers. And it's a bizarre poem, but <laughs> I heard her read it at a reading and she said how she wrote it. And I was like, wow, I wish... Everyone knew that because that might really encourage and help people. And I've used it for exercises a lot since then. So she gathered a few, a collection of her own tweets and she cut up the words and mixed them around. And so for exercises for students, I've done it with, I will print off a whole lot of tweets and Just encourage them to make a found poem using those words, using those lines. And I'm sure teachers Mm. do found poems all the time.
0: Yeah. Another approach to that is to get a a page from a book and ask the students to redact uh, many of the words and just Mm. and it's the words that.
3: Yes, and and students love that, don't they?
0: That poem of yours, Louise, the the thing, kind of expresses a lot of what we're talking about. It's from a while ago, isn't it?
3: Yes, I can read. This poem, I feel like this is a pretty good representation of my work, so that's probably the thing. So it's called The Thing. I need to find the thing I am good at. I have something wonderful inside, waiting to be said. It has not been easy. Spanish guitar, cape design, lyrics for lullabies. I really shine at nothing It needs to come smoother than this, the way water flowing through wood would feel if you put a hand to it. I saw the cover of Gillian Welch's latest album in the Sunday paper. Immediately I knew this was the kind of beauty I would aim for, something that makes normal people feel worse about their lives.
0: Ah, Love it. So for me, there are things there that I find such a delight and I've seeing coming up in many of your poems and that is that turn that your poem takes from a self-questioning almost lacking in confidence speculation into a very directed intention and that that Mm. intention that stated in the last lines of that I can't help thinking biographically about it I can't help thinking about you so may I ask the teacher question and say how much of that is you
3: oh I'm trying to think I mean I guess it's that feeling of you know if if you're reading or listening to music and you're trying to be a writer or a musician or whatever and you see some amazing creation and you think, Mm. why am I bothering? (laughs) Like, Why don't I just give up now because I will never reach those heights?
0: And yet there's something elevated about saying, I have something wonderful inside. That's such a beautiful Mm. line. And that's the sort of line I want young people to read and reflect on. Because I that's something I think we as teachers can offer to students is this uh, sense of their potential, that hope and possibly even ambition for who they may become. And the poem encodes that I think.
3: Yes, and I mean you have you have identified, I think, one of my writerly tells and it's also one of my editing tells that Francis often tells me about is I'm a real sucker for an ending and uh this is one of I guess a model of my poem so it'll kind of drift along and then a bit of an undercut at the end uh and I yeah I really love a good sucker punch at the end so if anyone does want to submit to Starling, have a great have a great last couple of lines that kind of hit you hit you in the face and you'll probably win me over
0: <laughs> and in English we would call it a volta and then we would instruct them (laughs) to do it.
3: One other thing I can identify in here for teachers uh, is, so when I say the line, uh, it needs to come smoother than this, and then it goes into the image the way water flowing through wood would feel if you put a hand to Mm,
1: it. I love that. I've
3: got a picture in my mind of, or I've got an idea of, that it needs to be a smooth process. So then as a writer, I think, What's an image I can use that's really specific that will portray that? um, Because... It would be easy to have an image of like a knife gliding through butter or something Mm. like that. But that's something people hear all the time.
1: And
3: as an editor or as a a reader, I'm going to fly past that. And probably as an editor, I'm
1: going to nearly say no Mm. at that point.
3: And
0: actually as teachers, we challenge that too.
1: And that happens heaps, yeah.
0: And I think another limit to the... age-old, what-did-the-author-intend question is there's plenty in poetry that's unintentional, Mm. that the reader constructs for themselves, whether it's technical items that they identify that the poet wasn't conscious of or whether it's even just an interpretation of the poem. I imagine you are quite comfortable about releasing your poems into the wild and allowing them to take on meaning in their own right for for the reader. Oh,
3: I think that's fantastic. So I I would have – I mean, I think teachers – should try to worry less because it doesn't matter it honestly doesn't matter as an editor if you if I get a feeling from a poem or if I love the language or whatever if it if it generates something in me that's enough. And if I really believe in what it generates, yeah. then I'm going to fight for that. The
0: thing that I always do as a teacher, which is the reason that I'm coming to the understanding that my classes are unbearable, <laughs> is that I, I, I just get so fascinated by the technique yeah. of things. And I find that I... I don't know, it could be very much a singular preoccupation, although I do end up convincing (laughs) my students that it's all, all of great value. This notion, for example, of the consonants when you say the way water flowing through wood would feel and that all the use of those double use and how that actually evokes quite a sensory response and, and matches with mm. the meaning that you're trying to convey at that moment. I just love those connections and relationships. And I don't think that we have to say that the poet intended that. Mm. We can just see it in the poem for ourselves.
3: Yeah. And so, to be honest, some things they might not have mm. even known they were doing.
0: Do you have a poem that you would like to include in a conversation about your poetry?
3: If someone was like, what is a poem that encapsulates your work? Uh, uh, this is what the one I would choose, and I think we'll probably address some of your questions, Chris that you're interested in around how much of a writer is in their poems. Uh, so it's called "The Fejoers are falling from the trees. The feedjoers are falling from the trees, a fresh bag load every day. Winter is on its way. I am in the kitchen, shucking feedjoers like oysters, filling ice cream containers to freeze. Won't it be nice to eat them in July? Rory is a good man who hates Fijos. I see a strong gust outside and I imagine the sound of a Fijoa falling, crashing into branches on its way down, waiting to be plucked from the leaves and soil. Winter is on its way. I try to think of how I could earn more money, work harder, get ahead. There is never enough and it would be nice to get ahead. I write a list of all the things I need to make. Stewed feijoas feijoa figure a crumble, another gust, feijoa a cake. What I can say about this poem, part of the reason why I started writing, and I guess in some ways why I've started styling as well, is it all goes back to, in some ways, that high school experience of feeling that poetry was not for me and it was not accessible for me. I always set out to write accessible poems. Uh, and I I like this poem because it feels like an achievement to me because I don't know, I mean, maybe there are now, but at the time I felt there was certainly not another poem that mentioned ice cream containers. Uh, and, yeah, I, I, I mean, this literally started from a real-life experience that we were renting a house in Nelson, my um, husband and I, and there were... To feed trees, and they produce so much fruit, and I could not keep up with it. Um, and of course, you don't want to waste them, but it was just this feeling of overwhelm. And I, I used that feeling of overwhelm to move from, you know, a fairly trivial uh, situation to bigger things about uh, needing to earn money and work
1: harder and things like that. Even just the ominous kind of that repetition of you know winter is coming, which is now like a catchphrase from Game of Thrones, isn't it? But just this kind of, you you set the bar. But just just to feel this like impending kind of doom and also this image of this tumbling kind of out-of-control fruit that is potentially going to sit and rot unless somebody is conscientious and timely enough to go and save it from, from its it demise you know I think there's, there's this beautiful um, juxtaposition and contradiction between this humor and really accessible images and the ice cream container. oh my gosh, but then also there's these darker themes that are sort of left unexplored.
3: I love domestic poetry and certainly as I write and the projects I'm working on now are even more sharply focused mm. on that with motherhood mm. and those kinds of things.
0: One of your sort of semantic markers, I think, is this sort of use of contradiction or paradox or internal inversion like, I really mm. shine at nothing, or a good man mm. who loathes is That seems to pop up in poems, and often in singular lines. And I think that's something that if you want to use, I don't think domestic poetry is in any way pejorative, but it is often a domestic thing to be noting mm. the incongruities.
3: Life can be cruel, uh, you know, ageing parents mm. and all those mm. kinds of things, and really seeing those small cruelties in life sometimes and I guess that's always been there in my poems uh, because it's just part of life around yeah. us uh, whether you're my age uh, or whether you're younger with you know grandparents not being around or anything like that.
0: But again that's something that young people experience they experience casual cruelty or yeah. quite often in their lives and encounter it and being able to be see it in literature allows them to kind of see that there's a voice for it in a way of processing. Yeah I mean well. poetry
3: is you know has a great relationship with depressing content there's no arguing against that but I guess one thing that I hadn't really thought about that when you're talking about it is um, maybe again I'm rallying against that kind of uh, traditional masculinity which is very stoic and very you know just get on with things and I guess a lot of my poetry is, but why do we have to get on with things? Why can't we see the sadness in this or, you know, in our lives around us?
0: You've been listening to Is This For Credits, the podcast of the New Zealand Association for the Teaching of English. Check out what else we're up to by going to our website, nzate.org.nz.